For the last few times that I've been sharing, I've been sharing out of John chapter 15, verse 7 and 8, which I believe is a wonderful and amazing invitation from Jesus to us. And out of the Amplified Bible, it says, If you live in me, abide vitally united to me, and my words remain in you and continue to live in your hearts, ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. When you bear produce much fruit, my Father is honored and glorified, and you shall improve yourselves to be true followers of mine. I'm also going to read out of John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. And Jesus said to, the, to those Jews who had believed in him. So he said some things, and then it said many of them believed in him. And so now he's talking to those who had believed in him. He says, if you abide in my word, hold fast to my teachings, and live in accordance with them, you are truly my disciples. And then here's what's going to happen. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, you hear a lot of people quote the last part of that. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Or even say, the truth shall set you free. And we hear that, and we say, amen, but that's not true. The truth shall set you free under these certain conditions that Jesus said. If you continue in my word, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Just knowing, just hearing, and just agreeing with the truth is not what sets you free. He says, if you continue. So in other words, he says, if you abide in my word, hold fast to my teachings, and live in accordance with them, then you are truly my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. How many of you would agree with that and say amen? Amen. So it's not just about knowing the truth or hearing the truth, but walking in the truth. I'm going to ask uh, the name of the topic of this sermon or the name, I guess if you want to put a title, would be what is your motivation? What is your motivation to read or develop a relationship with the Word of God? And I'm going to ask, I need some volunteers. I need, uh, first of all, I need four people just to come up and stand up here. I'm not going to make you talk or do anything, but I just need you to stand up here and look pretty or handsome. So I need four people over here. Thanks, Charlie. <laughs> Can we, we got two handsomes anymore. We need, hey, you guys stand over here. Two more people. All right. You guys stand over here. Okay. So I need four over here. You guys stand over here. All four of you over there. Huh? Just, just go on. Get on over there. Okay, scoot over a little bit. Okay, I need five more people over here. Five. Five over here. Somebody, I see a lot of you don't trust me. You're like, dang, no way. Ain't no way. Wow, it's only guys. Ladies, what's up with this? <laughs> All right, thank you, Kylie. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, I want to I read, read something. Some statistics on Christians reading the Word on a regular basis. Here is a study that I found. It says, Christians claim to believe the Bible is God's Word. We claim it's God's divinely inspired irre- Inerrant message to us. Yet, despite this, we aren't reading it. A recent LifeWay research study found only 45% of those who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week. Over 40% of the people attending their Bible, excuse me, over 40% of the people attending read their Bibles occasionally, maybe once or twice a month. 
Almost one in five, that's 20%, churchgoers say they never read the Bible. Almost one in five say they never read the Bible. Essentially the same number who read it every day. So there's about 20%. That's one in five. Jared, would you stand forward, please? So out of five people in the church, only one of them, out of every five, only one of them is reading their Bible on a daily basis. And here's another, another study. More than half of Americans think the Bible has, little, has too little influence on a culture that see, they see in moral decline. Yet only one in five Americans read the Bible on a regular basis according to a new survey. More than 77% of Americans think the nation's morality is headed downhill according to a new survey from American Bible Society. The survey showed the Bible is still firmly rooted in American soil. 88% of respondents say they own a Bible. 88%. 80% think the Bible is sacred. 61% wish they read the Bible more. And the average household has four and, four and a half Bibles. Uh, Doug Bursaw, president of American Bible Society, said he sees a reason for why the Bible isn't connecting with people. People, quote, people realize the Bible has values that would help us in our spiritual health, but they just don't read it, unquote. If they do read it, the majority, or 57%, only read their Bibles four times a year or less. Only 26% of Americans say they read their Bible on a regular basis, which is four or more times a week. So about 25% of Americans say they read their Bibles on a regular basis. So that means out of every four, go ahead and stand up. One reads their Bible. So at best, we have 25%, and at worst, we have 20% of churchgoers, Americans churchgoers, who believe in the Bible, actually read the Bible on a regular basis. One out of four, or one out of five. Now, if we thank you guys, you, you can be seated. I just wanted you guys to have a visual of how crazy that statistic is. And, you, you know, you can read statistics, and they can, they can vary. Actually, they do vary. They vary quite a bit. But what I was noticing in reading these articles is that there's a very low percentage of people who read the Bible on a regular basis. But if, we would ask, if I would ask you how many of you guys believe that the Bible is God's word, probably all of us or the great majority of us would, would raise our hands but if we were to be honest and say, how many of us actually read it on a regular basis, read it regularly, daily? Um, I don't know how close or how far we would be from those statistics. Why I don't read the Bible. I really think that reading the Bible regularly is kind of overrated. I think reading the Bible on a regular basis is not really a big deal. It really isn't. If I want to stay the same. If I love my bondage. If I'm content and comfortable... If I don't want to change, reading the Bible on a regular basis is not really that important. Too many people love or are content with where they are. They're okay with their bondages. 
And they really don't see a need to change. And that's simply why we're not reading his word. If, I mean, if we think about it. Because if we, if we were to ask, how important is God's word? I mean, theoretically, well, yes, it's very important. It's, it's the inerrant word of God. From God himself, given to us through the Holy Spirit, his word written down on paper. Or given electronically or however, digitally. When we think, why do I not read the word? And if we boil it down, because I really don't believe it's going to do much good, or I don't believe that I need it to do any good in my life. If we're going to be honest with ourselves. You know, there's a growing trend. I, di- I didn't look up any statistics for this, but there's a growing trend on more and more, I'm going to say Americans because I don't know about the other parts of the world, but I know here in America that we gravitate towards substitutes of the word. In other words, we, we, whether it's podcast, I can listen to a good podcast of my favorite, favorite uh, preachers or teachers or, or gifts to the body, or I can, I can um, listen to sermons or whatever and say that that's my Bible reading. That's how I engage the word. On a regular basis, we substitute the word of God, the pure reading the word for ourselves. We substitute it with this other stuff and we think that's okay. And because that's a growing trend and because that's so popular and because that's so convenient, is that really okay? I mean, that's not going to send you to hell. I mean, you're still going to go to heaven. If, if, if Jesus is in your heart, if he's in your life, you're, you're going to heaven. That's not the issue. You know, those things are okay. Because some people say, well, don't we need, didn't Jesus give body, or give gifts to the body? Teachers, pastors, preachers, prophets, evangelists, you know, to equip the saints? Yes, the word says that. However, they are not to be a substitute for me having a personal relationship with Jesus and his word. The moment that happens, I'm in trouble. And that's unfortunately, according to statistics, what many churchgoers do. Most churchgoers, their relationship with the word, their relationship with Jesus and the word is on Sunday morning. And somebody else is the one reading it to them and they're not reading it themselves. Sunday morning is okay. Sunday morning, you listening to me talk to you right now, encourage you is okay. But if this is your only time to engage in his word, that's not okay. And hopefully our time together right now, our time, me talking to you, hopefully will inspire, challenge, motivate, create a hunger in you for you to get with him by yourself. I believe that's what the gifts are for. When we're talking about equipping the saints... It's not you listen to me talk to you and teach you how to do ministry so you can go do ministry. Bottom line, it should be you listen to me talk to you and encourage and inspire you to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. And then as you draw close to him, and he's going to teach you things directly that he wants to teach you that you're never going to get from me. You're never going to get from any podcast. You're never going to get from any devotion or devotional. 
He has things he wants to tell you directly. But many of us are not getting it because we're not going to him directly. Husbands or wives, what if you communicated to your spouse only through a third party? Hey, Benjamin, go tell your mom this. Benjamin goes and tells his mom, Mom, dad says whatever dad says. And Elisa says, Benjamin, go tell your father this. And then Benjamin says, Dad, mom says. And we, go, we do that back and forth. Hey, Julia, come here. Tell your mom this. Hey, hey, Grant, Trey, tell your mom this for me. If that's our source of communication with each other, if that's our sole source of communication, how intimate and deep is our relationship going to be? <laughs> I like to, exactly, Michelle, that look on your face says it all. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? <laughs> now, it is important to be able to communicate, communicating through a third party is okay. If that's the only way I'm communicating, there's no way I'm going to be able to have a deep relationship with my spouse, my wife. You know, God intended for us, back in the Old Testament, God told Moses, he said, all right, tell my people to get cleaned up for three days. I'm paraphrasing the story. Because in three days, I want to come down, I'm going to talk to them. God's original design for his people that he wanted all of them to be priests, and he wanted to have relationship and talk to all of them directly. You guys remember that story in the Old Testament? So they got all cleaned up, you know, put on extra deodorant, got cleaned up for the Lord and everything. And then they, they drew close to the mountain. All of a sudden, God came down, and man, it was spectacular. Power and lightning and thunder and just, just the power of God just touching the earth. The earth was like, whoa, freaking out. And the people started freaking out, and they became afraid and got scared, and they ran off. And they basically said, Moses, let God tell you the stuff, and then you tell us. We don't want to hear from him. And that's typically how we are today. We would rather have someone give me the goods, someone break it down for me, Say, you, okay, you're a scholar, you know the word, you're a wonderful teacher, you break it down for me and give me the goods, and then I'll do it. And Jesus, he died so that we can all have a direct relationship with the Father, every single one of us. We are all kings and priests. The priests were the only ones who could go into the presence of God, the only ones. And they could only do it once a year, it was very limited, but only the priest could go into the presence of God. So only one person was able to have a close glimpse of God. Jesus calls you his priest. Every single one of us get to go into his presence and have a relationship with him. That's his desire, his design. But it's more convenient for me to allow you to break it down and just tell me what he said. And that's what we do a lot. Podcasts are great. I love to listen to podcasts. And they motivate and encourage me and stir me up. It's like, ooh, I like the kind of relationship that I see he has with the Father. I want some of that action myself. And then I go to the Father myself. 
And it's interesting because he tells me things and I see things in the word that I've never heard from anybody. I'm like, wow, really? And he wants that with every single one of us. Some of us are okay with not having that deep, intimate relationship. Some husbands or wives are okay with not having a deep, intimate relationship with their spouse. I'm not okay with that. There are things that I'm going to want to tell my wife that I'm not going to say through Julia or Benjamin. You know, one time, it was about a year ago, a little over a year ago, my oldest son, all, everybody was home actually, so it must have been around Christmas, a year, a year plus ago. And we're all in the living room, we're watching some movie, and Lisa and I are sitting within four, three, four feet of each other. We're sitting probably two feet of each other. And I have my phone, and she has her phone. She has her, yeah, she has her phone. And we're watching a movie, just hanging out. And I'm texting my wife future plans. Some of you are like, is he really talking about that? I'm texting her. I'm flirting with her and texting her, saying, hey, baby, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And she's over there giggling and smiling and everything. And all of a sudden, I hear this shriek. Oh, Dad! Oh, my goodness! I forgot that Trey had her iPad that was connected to her phone. You ever seen a half black man turn red? <laughs> it's an amazing, it's a sight, it's a wonder. I mean, he was so embarrassed. I've ruined him. So when, when you think of my son, pray for him, extend your faith. God doesn't intend for our relationship with us directly to be watered down through a third party. See, he desires you. He desires to be close to you. He desires to tell you things that you will otherwise not hear. That's the kind of relationship he wants. But we have to choose to go after him. And you know, and I'm not talking about, you know, if you're desiring to simply be a good Christian and to gain more great information, if you just want to be a good Christian, then... Reading the Bible and having an intimate relationship is not really that big a deal. I mean, you can do enough things to gain the points to be good. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? A lot of times our motivation is because, well, I know I need to read my Bible because that's what a good Christian does. Or God will like me more if I read my Bible. And I, you know, I was talking to my wife the other day. I, a lot of my motivation used to be based out of that. That when I wasn't reading the word, I was feeling bad and I was feeling that God's, his love or whatever for me was, was going down. It was going down. It was dropping. And like the only way to get that, that level back up was to read the Bible. So when I read the word, especially when I did it every day, man, his love for me was just increasing, increasing, increasing. It's like, okay, good. I like the level that it's at. I'm good. And a lot of us, that's how we approach our relationship. We do it out of, so God will love me, or favor, or that kind of stuff. And that's not what we're talking about. 
It's, I want to read his word. I want to engage with him in his word because I want to get to know him. Because there's so much mystery to God, that, and he invites us to draw close to him. You know, some of us, if we were to ask, well, why don't we read the word? One of the reasons, and a matter of fact, in a statistic that I saw, the number one reason why people don't read the word more is because, what would you guess? Say that again. Lazy. Okay, that's not it, but that's a good reason. <laughs> What's the number one reason you would think why we don't read the word more? Are we saying too busy? That's it. It's busyness. Too busy. People don't read the word more because they're too busy. They're too busy. We're too busy. Does that sound like an excuse to you? As busy as I am, and I have a very busy lifestyle, I seem to always, every single day, find time to eat. I don't care how busy I am. I do not care how busy I am. It's like, I guess I'm just not going to eat today because I ain't got time for that. That's not going to happen. I mean, maybe every once in a while, you're on a mission trip. You're, you're, you're in a situation where you just literally can't eat. I mean, that happens every once in a while. But I see to it that that doesn't happen often. I'm going to make sure of that. You know, and, and, and Jesus said that Man should not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of God's mouth. We should be partaking of his word at least as often as we're eating. I'm not talking about necessarily three times a day, but at least daily. Daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And of course, he's talking about our physical needs, but I believe he's also talking about our spiritual needs. Our daily bread. You know, my question for you today, as I've been praying about this and, and thinking about this, what is your motivation? What is it that's going to motivate you to read his word more? Me standing up here talking to you isn't going to be it. I promise you that. Now, as we're here right now, you're agreeing with what I'm saying, of course. But as soon as we leave and we go our separate ways and we get, we go back into, you know, regular life. If me talking to you is the only motivation you have, it's going to fade. And you might be motivated today and say, man, tomorrow I'm going to get up and I'm going to do this and this and that. Your motivation has to be more than just me. Now, hopefully my desire, my encouragement is to encourage and challenge, provoke. The Bible says we're supposed to provoke one, uh, one another to love and good works. To provoke. So hopefully something I say will, will spar or put a spark in you to want to run towards him. But my motivation has become, and I know this is going to sound generic, but that's okay, my love for him. And what I mean by that is, as I've gotten a, a, a bigger glimpse of him and his love for me, it's causing me to want to draw closer to him. I'm becoming addicted to him. 
to his love. You know, my, I was talking to one of my sons. We had a really good time. We got to visit with our sons this last week. And one of my sons was sharing a little bit of his adventure, his, his, his adventure. Because he came from a, he's in a real good place right now. But a year or so ago, a little over a year, he wasn't in a good place. He's in a very non-good place. And so we're talking about that. He was sharing his journey. But one part of the journey that really encouraged me was he was sharing how, he says, Dad, you remember when, he says, I remember when we were little. He says, you were really going after healing. I mean, you were, you were, you were praying for the sick and, and you were doing all this kind of stuff and, and, and things were happening, all that kind of thing. He says, you were really going after that. He says, you remember that? It's like, yeah, I remember that. And he said, but there were times when you would pray for us at home, you know, my kids, I'd pray for them, and we wouldn't get healed. He got offended at that. He got offended. <clears throat> and then there were other things that happened and, you know, things going on and, and like, why isn't this happening? Why isn't this happening? And he got offended at the word and, and began to move in a, in a not good direction. And I can understand that offense. I've shared my offense with God, praying for many people and them dying, you know, from sickness or, or, or different things like that. And me be getting offended believing that things are supposed to happen and promises that I believe God spoke to me not happening and not understanding why, getting offended. And then he said, but you know, I realize I've learned that we have two responses to the word. Choose to believe it or not believe it. And then he said, also when something doesn't happen, and he's talking about himself, praying for people and them not getting healed, I have two responses. I can say either the word isn't true. I can allow my, my circumstance to dictate that the word's not true because this person didn't get healed. Or he said, or I can allow the uncertainty and the mystery of that whole thing to draw me closer to the Father and say, Lord, I don't understand. Help me to understand. <clears throat> and see, that's what he's been doing. And see, that's the same thing that I did. Two different journeys, and he come, he's come to the same conclusion. To where I've allowed the mystery, the I don't, un, I don't understand, I don't know why. But God, I'm going to cause that to draw me close to you. And see, as I've done that, because the father asked me <clears throat> a while ago, because I was stuck. I was stuck on my need and my right to understand why these things weren't happening. And that's like I drew a, line in the, I drew a line in the sand and I said, God, I'm not moving forward till I understand. You know, who am I to say that to God, right? But we do that. God, I'm not moving. I'm not budging. Remember with the Holy Spirit dealing with my heart. And then he asked me a question. CJ, will you give me your right to understand? First I said, no, it's mine. And then as he softened my heart more and more, then I said, Father, here, I give you my right to understand. And then in the meantime, it's like he's saying, well, come on, come on closer. And do you know my understanding level is exactly the same? I have no, no understanding as to why. But my passion for him has intensified. 
It doesn't seem like that would make sense. But I've allowed the mystery to draw me closer. And I say, Lord, I trust you. And, I'm, and he's revealing his love to me in greater and greater ways. It's like, this is crazy. This is crazy. And I'm no longer stuck behind the why this isn't happening. You know, in the importance of the word, Jesus says how in, in John 15, how the father prunes his children, right? He prunes us. He's the vine dresser. We're the vines. And he prunes us so we can be more fruitful. We can bear more fruit. And it's the word, his word that cleanses us and prunes us. So if we're not engaging in the word, then what happens is we have every opportunity, every single day, we have many opportunities to become offended. How many of you would agree with that? I mean, little offenses all the way to big offenses. You know, someone, a car pulling out in front of you all the way to a friend betraying you. To you getting fired or you not getting that promotion that you felt like you deserved. And this, this new person just gets promoted in front of you. It's like, what, are you kidding me? Or promises that you thought were given to you, spoken over you, and they don't happen. We have all types of opportunities to become offended. And here's what happens to us. Why do you think Jesus talked about forgiveness so much? You know, one thing I appreciate uh, during our time, me, Lisa, Todd, and Shannon, one thing Shannon said, one thing she said, I'm not going to try to explain the whole context and everything, but she said, you know, forgiveness is one of the most powerful things in the universe. Forgiveness. And after she said that, I thought, you know what? There's something to that. There's power in forgiveness. Check this out. Remember when the, the four men took the lame guy to Jesus to get healed? It says that the Holy Spirit was present to heal, right? In that circumstance, the Holy Spirit was present to heal. Jesus, seeing their faith, I believe it says Jesus saw their faith. What did he say to the guy? He said, in response, he knew they were coming there for Jesus to heal that man, right? You with me so far? What did Jesus say to him? He's about to deliver what the man needs to be healed. And you know what he said? You are forgiven. Forgiveness was the power to release that guy from that bondage. And everybody looked at him like, what are you talking about? You're forgiven. And then he said, you know, he, he knew what the, the religious people were thinking. Only God can forgive. But Jesus said, so that you know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive, get up, be healed. But it was the same thing. You're forgiven. So in other words, because you're forgiven, you can get up. Forgiveness releases from bondage. We have every opportunity every day to be, to accept bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment, all that kind of stuff. And it gets on us and we don't even realize it. We don't even realize it. So this stuff piles up on us and then we're getting heavier and heavier and we're slowing down and we begin to get sarcastic. We begin to get critical. We begin to doubt and unbelief begins to flow because we have lived in an environment of unforgiveness. And see, when the word is like a mirror, right? If I'm eating a burger, a big old sloppy burger, and I'm just tearing it up and enjoying it, 
and I'm not, I'm not aware that ketchup and cheese is in my beard. And I'm walking around, you guys are like, um, you need a napkin? No, I'm good. But if you show me a mirror, it's like, whoa, someone give me a napkin. You hear what I'm saying? As soon as I see the reflection of my true self, I see my identity. I see where I'm at. I can choose to change or not. Because the truth is right there in front of me. Now, I can be in denial and say, I rebuke that. I rebuke that cheese on my face. And see, the word is like a mirror. When we're living day to day and all of a sudden we are engaging in God and his word. And remember from last week, I'm not talking about just reading the Bible. I'm talking about engaging Jesus and his word together. At a later time, we'll talk about what that looks like. But together, intimate fellowship with him and his word. And then when I get into that word, then guess what I'm going to see? That mirror is going to come up and I'm going to realize, man, I have all this offense in my heart. I have all this stuff that's come on me. And then, in other words, the mirror is in my face that I have a choice. I can either wipe the cheese off or I can let it stay there and, and walk in denial. When I realize why I'm, I'm the way I am, the word says, this is, what I need. this is what my response needs to be. This is what I need to do. If I'm not reading the word, if I'm not aware of what the word says, then I'm going to continue to walk around in bondage. And then I'm going to, I'm going to try to, then I'm, since I don't understand what's wrong with me, I'm going to try to do things to placate or to help me feel better about my circumstances or situation. So I'm going to engage in things that's going to bring comfort to my soul, entertainment, all this other stuff to make me feel good. But when everything gets quiet again, and then my true condition begins to scream out again, then I'm faced with myself and a reality of, man, I'm messed up. I am messed up because I need to be pruned. I need to be cleansed by the washing of the word. I've had some of the most powerful times when I've encountered him in the word and, and he gently says, he shows me, this is where you are. And it's like, whoa, I didn't even realize. I didn't even realize I was angry. I didn't realize I was bitter. I didn't realize that I had fallen into this. But because of his word, I receive the truth and I'm able to move forward. And it is so important. You know, I realized a couple of months ago, a few months ago, I had my 30th birthday of being born again. So I've been born again 30 years. And you realize that because I've been born again for so long or 30 years, I can't say, you know what, I've been a Christian for 30 years, so I can use all that momentum and all that kind of stuff. I can just, I can just ride off of that momentum and say, you know, God, I've, I've, I've read your Bible. I've read it several times through. I've done all this kind of stuff, so I'm just going to coast. I'm good. Does it work that way? I can't live off of yesterday's revelation, or, or I, I might have had a powerful time in the Word or with the Lord a week ago or yesterday or whatever. That's not going to help me today. I mean, it, it may help me because the truth is the truth, but I can't live off of that continuously. And so what happens is just because I've been a Christian for so long doesn't mean that everything's good. Especially if I'm not continuing to engage him. The world 
is relentless. Doubt and unbelief, all the messages of this world, the prince of the power of the air is relentless. He didn't say, oh, you know, you've been a Christian for so long. I'm just going to leave you alone. So if I'm coasting in my relationship with the Lord, but, the, but circumstances and trials are just pounding me, my past relationship with him is not going to carry me through these current circumstances. And then I'm going to get discouraged. I'm going to get worn down. I can become disillusioned. I can become frustrated. I can say, what's, what's happened? I know I've heard of many Christians who, in a, they've been walking with the Lord for many, many, many years, and then they turn away from him. I was talking with a man who's a famous Christian, not going to mention his name, but he was telling me, because he knows other, and when I mean by famous, I mean like people all over the world know this person. And he was telling me about other people, men that he knows, that, you know, if he dropped names, we would know who they are, or many of us would, that they quit walking with God. Probably, I mean, he didn't tell me all the stories, but probably because they got offended. I mean, why else would you quit walking with God? They got offended. I mean, they used to serve him passionately. They used to, you know, they were evangelists. Seeing hundreds and thousands get saved, seeing people get healed, delivered all these powerful, wonderful things, and they're not walking with God anymore. So just because they've served God for so many years doesn't mean that they can just coast into glory land. Just because I've been walking with him for 30 years doesn't mean I can just coast. Matter of fact, I've tried that. It doesn't work too well. Because what happens to me is you start getting discouraged. You get tired, you get bored, you get discouraged. Sin becomes very appealing. And then you do what David did. Remember David when he fell? It said when kings were supposed to be at battle, when he was supposed to be out there waging war, he wasn't. He said, you guys go ahead and fight for me. I got the. I mean, you, you got it. You guys are good. He got bored, I believe. And then we know his life began to go downhill because of the choices that he made out of not engaging his, his destiny. So here's what's at stake with you guys. You've heard me say that God has called you to greatness. And that is not a cliche, just a cliche with me. He has literally called you to greatness. Because the great one lives inside of you, and the great one desires to flow through you. He's uniquely designed and created and fashioned you, and he wants to move through in, an, in a wonderful way through the way he's designed you. And he wants to glorify himself. People see you and your good works, and they're like, whoa, God is real. He desires to show off through you. God desires to show off through you. Are you hearing me? He desires. I mean, it's the same thing. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify him. He wants to show off through you. He wants to be glorified through you. How's that going to happen? When people see you, they see your character, they see what you're doing, they say, wow, God must be real. Because they know the struggles that you went through. They know the abuse and the, the, the heartache and the, the gut-wrenching junk that you went through. And they see where you are now and they see the glory of God on your face and they say, how did you do that? And you say, Jesus, you say, can you tell me how? Because I'm going through the same mess. 
And it's not just, well, read your Bible and pray. But it's, let me share with you, out of your intimate relationship with him, let me share what he's done with me. And then what that will do is cause them to hunger for that same type of relationship. Then they draw close to Jesus and then they get set free. And then they begin to move into their destiny. And then more, you see what I mean? Then it's a chain reaction. There's so much at stake. Many of you have grown tired and even discouraged. Believe me, I know what that looks like. And the father is saying, come with me, come sit on my lap. Let us reason together. Let's talk. Let's hang out. Let me show you wonderful things. And when we engage him and in his word, we're going to be amazed at what happens. You know, when I shared last week that vision about the monkeys on people's back, you guys remember that? Is anybody not here last week? I'll share the quick version. I had a vision many years ago, and I was walking through Walmart, and I saw all these people. And us Christians were walking by these people. It's like they were walking this way. We were walking and facing them. And we were just saying things like, God bless you, God bless you. We were smiling at them. We were being very nice to these people. And then I looked again, and I noticed they were all walking down with their heads down. They were, you know, kind of a weight on them. And there were these demonized-looking monkeys on their back. And that's where the weight was. It was weighting, weight, weighting them down. And as we were walking by these people saying, God bless you, and just being nice to them, the mon- these demon things were looking at us and just smiling. And they were saying, that's okay, you can be nice. Your niceness isn't doing anything. And that vision provoked me. Being a nice Christian, just being a nice Christian doesn't set people free. And see, that provoked me. It's like, I I don't want to just be a nice Christian. I've become very greedy for the things of the kingdom. Because I've learned, I feel like the Holy Spirit taught me this or showed me this a long time ago. I used to be so focused on what I didn't have. You know, being an African-American in America, sometimes you can feel disadvantaged. And I used to be focused on that kind of stuff. Growing up in a single-parent home, grew up in, it'd be considered poverty. You know, being skinny, I used to be extremely, extremely self-conscious about being skinny. I mean, it used to bother me big time. Some of you are saying, well, I wish I had that skinniness. <laughs> that was one of my issues. It's like, man, if I could look like so-and-so, if I can be like, if I could have their money, if I could have their smarts, and I could have their, I was so, if I could have, I was looking at what I didn't have, And it was hard to be content because I was so focused on what other people had. And one of the things the Holy Spirit just brought into my spirit, and it just brought, he said, do you realize that you can grow in me as much as you want? And you can have as much as my kingdom as you go after. 
And what I realized what he was saying is because of my my intelligence or lack thereof or my money or lack thereof or my race or my gender or whatever that had nothing to do with or nothing that was going to hold me back or could hold me back from all that I could have in him. And so I begin to look at that and I'm like, really? I can have that stuff? So that's what I mean by become very greedy because I'm going after him. I'm going after him. And it's caused me to be content. It's because I don't have all the things on the outside that we say, man, I wish I could have this and this and this. I can celebrate with those who have these things. People who are wealthy, I can celebrate. I can, from my heart, be happy for them and celebrate with them. When someone else is blessed, man, someone just paid off all my debt. Someone just gave me a new house. Someone just, I can celebrate with them. Whereas before I couldn't. I used to be envious and jealous. But see, now I realize, because I felt like that I was, it wasn't fair. But now I realize, you know, when they say the sky's the limit, I can get everything I want in him. And he's saying, come on, son, I got more for you. Let's stand together. So here's the question I want to leave you with. My prayer is that you're being provoked, not condemned. Condemnation is not going to do you any good. It may motivate you to do something for a few days, but then you'll, it'll, it'll stop. But I hope you're provoked to love, realizing that he loves you, and you want to draw close to that. And you're saying, I want some more of that action. I want to know you, Jesus, in a way that I've never known you before. And he says that when you ask anything according to his desire, his will, you can have it. So my question I want to leave you with is, what is your motivation? What will motivate you to engage his word more? I'm not asking you to tell me that. I'm asking you to have that conversation. What is it that needs to change? Do you care? Do you not care? If you don't care, okay, that's fine. Well, actually, it's not, but. So what's going to motivate you to run after him? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. That even when we do stupid things, we sin, we mess up, we just royally blow it. You're right there to extend and offer your forgiveness again. Again and again and again. And for those of you who have believed the lie that it's too late, that you've messed up so much that you've ruined your purpose in God, That is a lie. In Jesus' name, we cast that down. That doesn't mean that there's no consequences to bad choices and sin. But that doesn't doesn't mean we can destroy God's purpose for us. Some plans may need to be changed and altered, but his purpose for you is still the same. 
And he's inviting you to engage him so he can pull you and carry you and develop you into the purpose that he has for you. And it will be something that will satisfy your whole being because he's created you for that. So if you've believed that lie, I just want to encourage you in your heart just to confess with your lips, I refuse to believe that lie any longer. And I'm choosing to believe the truth that God still has a purpose for me and he's still inviting me to engage him in that purpose. And then you tell him, Father, here I come. Here I come. And Lord, I just release your blessing and your grace over every person in here that we will just be crazy, crazily passionate and hungry for you and your word. That it will be one of those insatiable desires that we can't get enough of where we just become hungry for more of you, your presence, your word. And then we're going to do something about it. We love you, Father. We thank you that you're so good all the time. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.